as a child of God are enjoying this mild fall weather. Amen. It's like, keep it up. I was talking to my father in Florida, and we were like almost tied within like four degrees. I think that's pretty amazing where we're keeping up with Florida. But how many know like uh, how we had snow on Halloween? It can change really fast. So you got to be ready for that. Thank you for coming on this beautiful day. Let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. We're going to learn today about the God of peace. And believe it or not, yes, this is true. We are now finishing the book of Hebrews. 15 months, if you have been here in the second service, we do two different series, one for the first, one for the second. In the second service, we started September 2022. So now here we are, if you're listening to this by audio or recording, it is now November 23. We are going to go through our final passage, but what I would like to do is review the book of Hebrews for you. So we will be ending today by God's grace, but I would like to start with you from the very beginning. If you guys could go to the Bible software and just kind of scroll along. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, we learned about who Jesus is. Oftentimes we think of the big scriptures of who Jesus is coming from John, but Hebrews starts very similar to John. In the past, this is chapter 1, verse 1, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom all things he made the universe. Right about here, you might be able to get away with what some Jehovah Witnesses believe, that Jesus is a secondary God, he's a being created after the Father, but notice now, verse 3, it's impossible for him to be anything other than equal with the Father. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. How many know that closes the door on Jesus being anything less than God? Can I hear any amen to that? So anybody who thinks Jesus is less than God, can you be the exact representation of God in any way without being God? No, it's impossible. Can I be the exact representation of God? No, because the exact representation of God would be all that God is. So whatever God is, Jesus is as well. He is the Son of God, equal with the Father. Now notice this. This is now something only he could do, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So in other words, if Jesus is sustaining all things, could he be a created thing? No, so the only one that is not created, uncreated, that sustains all things is who? God. And now we're told that Jesus, like God, sustains all things. And if that wasn't clear, notice this, and through whom also he made the universe. Now, according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, who made the universe? An angel? No, who made the universe according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So now we know that Jesus is not the Father. He's not the person of the Father, but he is God like the Father. Does everybody get that? So you see Trinitarian theology here. He is not the Father. The Son is not the Father. Even though the Father's name is not mentioned here, it's mentioned later on. Uh, but what we see is that the Son is God like the Father, but he's not the Father. And then it goes on to say, after he had provided, 
provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He became as much superior to angels as his name he inherited is superior to theirs. Now go to verse 5. To which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your Father, there you go. So now you see father and son. Or again, I will say, I will be his father and he will be my son. Now notice this. Again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels, what? Worship him. I thought the first commandments is have no other gods before God. Don't worship any other, other God. And then number two, have no idols. And yet we worship the son of God. Now let's keep going just a few, a few verses further in verse 8. Oftentimes people will point to verses where Jesus calls the Father God, and they'll say, if Jesus calls the Father God, then that must mean he is not God. Well, if that is true, according to that, then the Father is not God because he calls the Son God. Does everybody get what I just said there? So there are two errors that people make when trying to understand the Trinity. And I'm going to give you just a few minutes to find it. It's on our website, Trinity, the big gray poster that has it in the middle. I think you know what I'm talking about. So as he's pulling this up, oh, ah! <laughs> give this dude a hand clap. Man, come on, bro. Do I have money? Nancy, do we have any money? Man, we got to bless that guy with a bonus. Give him whatever cash you have in your wallet. I don't care how much is in it. I want it to go to this man right here. I'll reimburse you, baby. Come on, give it up for the sound man in the back. I just got to give him a bonus for that. Like, they've been with me for a minute. There's been some awkward conversations between me and the sound booth guys from this pulpit. And I know, like many people, it's like, it's like oh, just turn away. Pastor and the sound guy are talking right now. Just look at your neighbor. Talk to your neighbor. So, yeah, my wife's going to bless you. Okay, now everybody watch this. These are the two errors that people struggle with when trying to understand the Trinity. And the book of Hebrews teaches it to us so clearly. Sabellianism, also known as oneness theology, modalism, says that Jesus is the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. But now going back to Hebrews chapter 1, can Jesus be the Father when the Father and Son are talking to each other? If you could put it up there, just we'll go back and forth there. Thank you. Now just scroll up just a little bit, please. Now can the Son and the Father be the same person when he is talking to him? Just go up just a little bit and we'll see where he talks to him. I, you are my Son. Today I've become your Father. Can you say that to yourself? Can you say that? Hey, Joe, today I've become your Father and you're my Son now. No, this is what oneness does. Oneness makes God out to be schizophrenic, talking to himself in this way that makes no sense. If he wanted to reveal himself as one person, he would have done it a certain way. But let me also let you know, it would be impossible for God to be one person because God is the one and the many. That's one of the divine attributes for God to be God. Let me ask you this. Could God be God and not be all-powerful? No, God, by definition, has to be all-powerful. Everybody tracking with me? Can God be God and not be all-knowing, omniscient? No, so an attribute, a must-have of the being of God, must be your all-powerful, must be your omniscient. How about ever-present? Can, can God be uh, limited in his being and not be present everywhere? No, well, it's the same thing. One of the attributes that has to be attributed to God is one and the many. One in being, multiple in persons. And I, I don't have time to tell it all to you, but trust me, Jesus answers the philosophical problem of the one and the many. If you Google it, you'll see. Yeah, there's a philosophical problem. 
problem. And guess what? Most of those philosophical problems, Jesus solves. Can I hear an amen? Jesus is the answer. Oh, that's just for spiritual stuff. No, that's for everything you're dealing with right now. Science stuff, philosophical stuff. Okay, but now go back to that chart, please. So it doesn't even make sense in any of the passages we go to. And so this is incorrect for multiple reasons. But Hebrews is now showing us that this is incorrect because the Father and Son are speaking to each other and the Holy Spirit will begin to be addressed in just a little bit. But on the other side, the other popular version that rejects the Trinity is Arianism, known as uh, Jehovah Witnesses today. So Sibelius was an early uh, heretic and Arius was an early heretic. So that's why they became known by those names, but they've uh, taken on different shapes. And then Arianism basically says God alone is the Father. He creates the Son and then through the Son as a lesser God uses the force, not the person of the Holy Spirit, but the force of the Holy Spirit to do everything else. Now going back to Hebrews, the Jehovah Witness will say, well, let's go to John in our, in our passage, please. They'll say, well, look it. Jesus says in Revelation and in John, I'm going to my God and to your God. How many have heard that phrase before? And it says, well, uh, what they say then is if Jesus says, I have a God, then that must mean Jesus cannot be God. But notice now that that would take away the Father from being God because, just go down a little bit here, please. We hear that the Father calls the Son God, but about the Son he says. Who is the he says here? The Father. Just, just scroll down a little bit so everybody can see. I'm not making it. You're scrolling up. Scroll down. Just follow my hand. Thank you, sir. So the he that is speaking here, in speaking of the angels, he says. Who is this? The Father. Now go up to verse 6. And again, when what? God brings his firstborn into the world, he says. Who is the he? The Father. God. Just you can say God or the Father. It's fine. So now notice about the Son who is speaking here. God or the Father. Did everybody get that? So God says about the Son, the Father says about the Son, your throne, oh what? Oh, God will last forever and ever. God the Father calls Jesus God. Does everybody see that? It's the same problem that they have, Jehovah Witnesses, going back to the chart, please, is that when they say, notice how the Bible always says there's one God and one Lord, one God and one Lord. They'll say the Father is the only one that's God. Jesus is a Lord, but he's in a lowercase Lord. He's like the landlord. He's like the Lord of the manor. He's not God Lord. But how many know the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, thy God, the Lord is one. Do you see the many and the one? The many and the one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, thy God, the Lord is one. Three iterations of persons, one being God. Is everybody tracking with me? But the Jehovah Witnesses, all sneaky sneak, whenever they see the word Lord, that they want to put it towards God, they call that Yahweh, Jehovah. They'll put in the Greek New Testament Hebrew words that are actually not there to make their point. They can't play by the rules. They cheat. But go with me quickly to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. You will notice that what we declare Jesus as, Jesus is Lord to be saved. That's not as a landlord. That's not like, oh, the Lord, my master, you know. No, no, this is like, like not, not some, you know, downtown abbey, you know, whatever thing. This is Lord Yahweh. Notice it, Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord, thank you, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How do I know what kind of Lord this is? Well, just follow the context. It continues, and Paul says, the same what? The same what? Lord, verse 12, the same Lord is what? Lord of all 
and is richly blessed by all who call on him. And then here comes the quotation in verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the what? Lord will be saved. Now go to Jeremiah 2.32. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 32. That quotation comes from the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 2 uh, verse 32. Verse 32. 2 verse 32 please my brother. Scroll on down. Now notice who the Bible calls Lord here. It, oh, did I have it wrong? Go back to that passage. You had it wrong and I had it wrong. Go back to uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It must be like uh, 22 or something. Yeah, go to the F here for me, please. Oh, what is it here? Go right there. I thought I had it. Man, I wish I had the whole Bible memorized. Go on. Uh, two, yeah, 232. What did I say? I said Jeremiah. It's one of those days, isn't it? Pray for me, man. I'm like, I'm all confused. I thought, and this is the God's honest truth. I listen to myself over and over again. I catch myself doing that all the time. Thank you guys for your patience. Because if you would have put me on a lie detector test right now, I would have promised you and lied through my teeth saying that I said Joel. I thought I did. Everybody look at Joel chapter 2, verse 32. How many of you ever public spoke before? It's not always easy. I do get paid to do this, so I should be a little better at it, but pray for me. And everyone who calls on the name of the what? The Lord will be saved. You notice it's on in caps. That's the English way of saying Yahweh. Put the mouse over there for us, please. And then you'll see here, Yohevahe, the divine name of God. Does everybody see that? So going to Romans 10, 9, and those who declare Jesus is your master. No, Jesus is just your landlord. Jesus is like in the English society, somebody over some land and property. No, if you declare Jesus is Yahweh, Lord of all, you are saved. That's why Jehovah Witnesses can't be saved. That's why Mormon, they, I mean, they can, but not in their false doctrine because you're not declaring Jesus to be the right Jesus. The Bible says there are many Jesuses that have gone into the world and deceived many, they, these false prophets, these false Christs. So you got to make sure you have the right Jesus. I'm not talking about Jesus down the road that's selling in lotes, okay? I'm not talking about that Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, equal with the Father. Going back to chapter 1, notice that we learn about who Jesus is, and we spent an amount, a large amount of time going through those messages in chapter 1, and I pray that you go through it if you're interested again. Uh, then to Hebrews chapter 2, we then begin our warnings, and remember we talked about Hebrews teaches that a person can lose their salvation. Not like you would lose your set of keys or as my wife loses her phone and has to check that app all the time on my phone to find my phone and bing it. It's like how you would purposely walk away from a relationship more like a divorce. And so here we begin to see some of these warnings. And if you look at it, chapter 2, verse 1, who else could this be speaking to except to us as Christians? In my cemetery days, I mean seminary days, I had to defend this because I was with Baptists who taught once saved, always saved. And in them teaching that, they basically try to make the audience of Hebrews not to be Christians. But notice how clearly this is speaking to us. We must pay attention, the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. If you are not a Christian, aren't you already drifted away? Are you saved or are you lost, right? Like in the Bible, you can't be, one, you can't be a third option, so if he's saying to people, you who have heard this better pay close attention, otherwise you will drift away, what does that mean now? That means you're close. Does everybody get that? Come on, that doesn't take, uh, you know, you don't have to have like a degree in logic to understand this. Baby girl, will you bring those kids up here for me, please? Have them sit up in front in daddy's uh, church here. I want them to be good. Bring some chairs, have my kids sit up here. Welcome my kids, everybody. Welcome church kids. Grab chairs and have them sit up here, please. 
I'm going to help mom out today. Can I do that? Can, you, can pastor preach and also take care of my kids? Amen. Because they'll act differently with, uh, with me up here. Okay. Thank you. Now, notice this right here. We must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. You have to be a Christian to have drifted away to, to ever be one. I can't, as a sinner, be lost. Lost. Is everybody tracking with me? Don't look at the cute kids. Look at me, the preacher. Can I be lost, lost? No, that doesn't make any sense. Can I be dead, dead? Can you be more dead than you are already if you're dead? Can you be more lost if you're already lost? Now, don't answer that. Some husbands and wives might get into a fight right now in, in traffic you know, you, or you know, looking for a place. I've been there. But listen to me right now. If you're in the Bible and you're reading it and understanding it, there's only two categories of people, lost and found. You know, there's only saved and unsaved. There's, there's only sinners and saints. That's it. So if he's saying we have got to pay attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away, who is he talking to, Christians or sinners? Christians. So then by that definition up here, Christians can drift away, can't they? So that's not me making that up. That's the Bible saying you can drift away. Now, my other argument, see, the first one they say they're not talking to Christians. They're just talking to an audience. And in this audience, some of y'all have heard stuff and you're not obeying it and you could drift away. But even then, it doesn't make sense if you're not a Christian because you really have never come close to God and you don't have a fear of drifting away. You, you just have a fear of staying a, a, a away from God, not a fear of drifting away. You already away. So that's what the first thing they try to say. The second thing that they try to say is that this is real and it's supposed to intimidate you, or not intimidate you, but uh, put the fear of God in you rather, but it's actually not going to happen. So in other words, it's like the parent saying, hey, you better watch out or I'm going to slap you in the next week. You know, I don't know if anybody grew up like that, but that's how I grew up. I grew up in a crazy house back then. That stuff was all the time. You know, My mom was like, if you don't change right now, I'm going to beat it out of you. Maybe I need to practice some of that with them. But, but you know your mom's not going to beat it out of you. You know your mom or your parent is not going to slap you in the next week. But they're telling you that to put the fear of God in you. Put fear of mama in you. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. And some people would say, like, that's how God is speaking here through, through the, you know, the author. That man, you know, he, he could do it. He could cast them away. There could be some things that happen. But it's really not going to happen. Let's go on now and see if he's playing with them. Let's see if he's plain speaking, you know, in hyperbolic, hyperbole, exaggerated language, or if he actually means what he's saying. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedient received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? You think God is playing right here? He doesn't sound like he was playing when he judged people. You think God was playing when he judged Achan? In the Bible, Achan got stoned for his, for his punishment, didn't he? Anybody, does anybody read the Bible? How many know people were punished in the Old Testament? How many know there were penalties that you suffered? That's the example he's now saying. Look at what happened to them. How many know uh, the, the earth opened up and people were swallowed by it? The Korah's rebellion, you know, treat your pastors with respect. You never know, you know, you might get caught in an earthquake on the way home, right? And I'm not trying to use that to abuse it. I'm just saying, like, man, they messed with Moses. The earth swallowed up and they got killed, Okay. Uh, the next thing that you see here is that he says, if we ignore such a great salvation, well, you must already have it now if you can ignore it because they're already ignoring it. Does everybody get that? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, they're already dead in their sins. They can't understand anything. They're blinded by the God of this age. This salvation that was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified, it by, uh, testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. 
So brothers and sisters, I'll take that first warning very seriously. Now go to chapter 3. We, we then see that the book of Hebrews, rightly named so, is there because the author, who I believe is Paul, is writing to the Jewish believer to help them understand how the Old Testament is fulfilled. And if you didn't know these were Jewish believers, now you'll know. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Is there any doubt now that these are Christians that he's talking to? No, there's no doubt. You don't call sinners holy brothers and sisters. Am I talking to anybody here today? That crazy church down the road might consider people holy brothers and sisters, but they're not living right, okay? There's a lot of churches that let sinners be in the church, and then they call them brother and sister, this brother and sister. So No, no, no. The Jesus said, who's a brother or sister? Those who do his will. Amen? Who's my mother and brother and sister? Okay. Now, notice that he begins to talk about who Jesus is as the high priest and how he's fulfilling what Moses started to do. And then he says back to them in verse 7, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the times of testing in the wilderness when your ancestors tested and tried me. That's how I know these are Jewish people, because now the author is bringing up a scripture given to the Jewish people to tell them to take God serious. Can I hear an amen? So from verse 1 all the way to verse 8, these are Jewish Christians now, and they are supposed to look back at the history of their people and learn a lesson. Why? Because in verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, from the ancestors of the Jews, in other words, and now in Christ, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Once again, can you turn away from God if you are already a sinner turned from God? No. You can't be twice dead. You can't be twice turned because then if you 180'd back, you're already facing God again. Does that make sense? Come on. I mean, it doesn't make sense to say it's a Christian, but are you guys understanding what I'm saying? This has to be speaking towards Christians who are facing God, and now the Bible says, brothers and sisters, make sure none of you has a sinful heart. Well, sinners already have a sinful heart. Make sure none of you has an unbelieving heart. Well, unbelievers are already unbelieving, and make sure none of you turns away from God. Sinners are already turned away from God. Now, notice what it says here. As of verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if we indeed hold our original conviction firmly to the end. So once saved, always saved is not true, but you are to be saved and always saved. Amen? You are to be saved and continue in your salvation lest you be like those who have turned from God. So those who give you a false security that you can live however you want run right into Hebrews and learn that that is not going to happen. But now what you see as we go to chapter 4 is that chapter 4 gets into more details. Not only is Jesus now giving us the way to follow Jesus, uh, not, not only is Jesus giving us the law, the new covenant, how to follow him even better than Moses, he is now going to show us how he fulfills every major component of the Hebrew religion, of the Israelite religion. What is one of the, uh, the things of the Jewish people that make them stand out? 
their celebration and their practice of the Sabbath, the seventh day of rest. How many know what I'm talking about? The Sabbath. But now we're going to learn that Jesus is our Sabbath, that our Sabbath rest is not in a day. Our Sabbath rest is in a person. Continue on here to chapter 4, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, this is talking about after Moses coming into the promised land, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters into God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Does everybody see that? So Jesus is the work of God that was completed, and now when we come into Jesus's finished work, we now get the rest, not just as a physical day off, but as a spiritual state of living in Sabbath. Can I hear an amen to that? Otherwise, you're going to be chasing the actual Sabbath day for a spiritual benefit. And go quickly, as we've learned before in Hebrews, one of my favorite passages to always reference, Hebrews, I mean, excuse me, Colossians, to always reference while we're going through the book of Hebrews. Colossians chapter 2 tells us, Paul, the same author, I believe, that all of these things have been fulfilled, but yet they were shadows of greater things to come. Notice it. Hebrew, uh, uh, Colossians, rather, uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a what? Or a what? Sabbath day. These are a what? Shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in where? Christ. Now go back to that Hebrews passage of chapter 4. Why did Paul say that, that all of this is a shadow? Because when you go to Hebrews chapter 4, you realize that in actuality, they never really had rest. They never really had rest just because they had a day off. They were always striving in the law to try to find rest for their souls. And that's why the Bible talks about, come unto me, Jesus saying, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall have what? Rest. Somebody say rest. Rest for your souls. That's what it's talking about. Also, what we'll get into in a little bit later is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And then what does it say? He makes me lie down. Jesus brings us to that place of rest. Now, what's really cool about chapter 4, since we're there, verse 12, is that the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So we learn that even though the, uh, the Hebrew people had these traditions, they were not in and of themselves powerful. What made them powerful, the dietary laws and all these things that they went through, even the Sabbath, is that God was speaking it to them to bless them. And as we've learned before, there was a reason why they didn't wear the same clothes as everybody else. They didn't mix cloths. They didn't plant their gardens like everybody else. Uh, they had a certain diet. These cultural laws were to have them stand out and know that they are uh, spiritual, holy people. Now look at uh, chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have, have a high priest who is unable to identify or empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without what? Yet he did not what? Sin. Now let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
So not only does Jesus' new covenant bring us a rest, it brings us a boldness to come into the mercy of God. And now when we have sins, Jesus is not only our high priest, but he's also our sacrifice. Notice this as we go to chapter 5, as it gives out the various qualifications of a priest. Look at verse 6. And he says in another place, this is talking about God saying this, you are a priest forever in the order of who? Melchizedek. Notice that all of the Jewish priests had to come from the tribe of where? Levi. They had to be a a Levitical priest. That's why you have the book of Leviticus written to the Levites, the descendants of Aaron. But notice this, Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. So how does Jesus become a priest? In the prophecies made about him, that Jesus uh, was prepared for him, God the Father said, you are a priest, not in the order of Judah, I mean, not in the order of the Levites, not in the order of Aaron, Arianic, but in the order of who? Melchizedek. And that's when you go back to the book of Genesis, where Melchizedek was a priest that Abraham tithed to. And so Jesus skips over the whole Levitical priesthood and gets his authority from the Father, because when he comes in the flesh, he needs the authority from the Father. He gets it not through the Levites, but through Melchizedek. Can I hear an amen for that? And then what's beautiful about that is then we get a nice good rebuke here in verse 11 because it's not just supposed to be all head knowledge. Notice what he says now in Hebrews chapter 5, 11. We have much more to say about this. So you can see the author, who I believe is Paul, wanting to go deeper into this understanding. But he says, it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. This is how I know these warnings are serious because whatever is going on in this church, he's having to divert from deeper teaching to begin to rebuke them. And so, of course, when his warnings come out about, you know, making sure you're not rebellious, he's serious. You can walk away from your salvation, and we'll see that very clearly in the next few chapters. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. Come on, somebody go, oh, snap. That's a rebuke right there. You're all supposed to be adults, but you're kids. You're in kindergarten. I got to teach you the ABCs and one, two, threes again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk still being an infant is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish from good and evil. This is where we took a lot of of our sermons here to show you that I'm not responsible for teaching you what music exactly to listen to and not listen to. Legalist churches have done that and will do that. I'm not here to do that. I'm not here to tell you, well, you can dance the merengue, but you can't dance the bochata. That's not my job. Or you know what? You can wear this, but you can't wear this. I should have a standard, obviously, of what is decency and in order. But you're supposed to learn how to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and begin to distinguish between good and evil. Because I am not your conscience. The Holy Spirit uses his word to convict you. And if you're just waiting for the pastor to tell you everything that's right and wrong, you're still a baby in elementary school sucking on the bobo milk. You need to grow up before God throws up. Revelation says that the lukewarm, he's going to spit out of his mouth. So brothers and sisters, remember this word that you are responsible for training yourselves. Note what it says. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained who? Themselves 
So don't come to me, the pastor, and be like, you're supposed to do it all. No, I'm going to disciple you. I've wrote 20 books by God's grace, more than that. They're all free online. You know, you can have them if you can't afford them, whatever. They're out there. So, boom, I've done everything I can. I'm preaching every week, doing all of this. But you better go, you know, those other 23 hours a day throughout this week and train yourself. Read the Word of God. Study yourself to show yourself approved. You need to ask the Lord, is it okay for me to get more tattoos? The Lord may say, no, it's not okay for you. You need to go back to the Lord and say, am I spending my money right? You might be wasting your money. I've had so many things that the Lord has convicted me of and said, nope, 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 yes, yes, yep, yep, no. The Holy Spirit has done that to me. I didn't watch uh, secular movies or TV for eight years. The Holy Ghost told me that. Holy Ghost told me to take out my, my hoops to not wear earrings anymore. Nothing wrong with them, but the Holy Ghost told me that. Jesus told me to stop hanging out with my friends, some of them even Christians, because they were bad influences. Because you have to learn in your personal walk with God what is good and evil for you. Not according to the law. The law is there for everybody. We all know the laws of God. That's clear. But talking about the stuff that's that gray area, Romans chapter 14 calls them matters of the conscience. Somebody eats meat, somebody doesn't. Somebody thinks alcohol is okay, somebody else doesn't. These are things that the believer is supposed to work out and look to Jesus as their example. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, moving on to chapter 6, he says, get past those elementary teachings. Grow up in the faith. Now look at verse seven. It's, uh, verse 4. Rather, It's impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they crucify the Son of God all over again, subjecting him to public disgrace. So here it's clearly that somebody can walk away from their salvation. How many see that? But the problem that then we face is that people will bring up to us, they'll say, okay, let's take it from your point of view, uh, Joe, and that someone can walk away from salvation. Well, then according to this, they can never come back. And this is where we have to say there are different kinds of backsliders. There is a certain kind of backslider that this is speaking to where God says, I'm done with you. Judas, God was done with them. Saul, God was done with them, handed them over to a spirit. Many of these backsliders, I believe, are in hell now, okay? You have to understand this. God is, is not owed, you, uh, you're not owed by God a second or third chance. Now, there are other backsliders, like prodigal sons and daughters, like me. I, I backslid. I, I, you know, when I was a teenager, I came in church, left church, and God was merciful to me. But I'll tell you this right now, that I don't know if this next time, if I, you know, now that I've been saved, if there would ever be another chance for me. I'm just telling you how I sense in my heart. I'll just give you one story right now that will put the fear of God in you, maybe scare the hell out of you. You ready for it? Okay, my sister, just like me, brought up in church, backslided in, came back, backslided out, uh, you know, came in, backslided out, you know, just back and forth, back and forth. She's living with her, like, third baby daddy, you know, and uh, she calls me up one night. I'm in Bible college, and she's like, man, I want to change my life. You know, God's, you know, been convicting me. I'm living with this man. He's not my husband, you know. I mean, I'm sleeping with him and all this, and she's calling me because she knows my testimony that I've been saved, that I've been delivered. And so I pray with her right there on the phone. This was back in the day, pay phone. I'm telling you, at the end of the hallway in the dorm room. I mean, this is old school right here. I'm talking to her, and I'm praying for her, speaking tongues, you know, deliverance. You notice how good they're being, by the way. You notice that. But I just want you to notice I'm speaking in tongues. I'm loving on them. And guess what? She gets saved. She receives Jesus. And then I say to her, okay. Jenny, it's time for you to do what I did in Jesus' name. you got to walk away from this, but I'm living with the man. Start sleeping on the couch. And those of you who know my sister's story, she died a few months later, drinking and driving, split a pole, uh, split the car on a pole going 70 miles an hour. Guess what? That day was my last phone conversation with her. 
Don't you tell me God is playing with some of you. He's not. She decided at some point to go back to drugs and alcohol and thought maybe she could come back again. And that day, she got drunk and drove that car. That was it. Now, I'm not going to say she's in hell because things can happen on the car ride and things we don't know about, but I will tell you exactly what the Bible says. If she did not repent, she's in hell, and God doesn't, doesn't owe her one thing. So that's the kind of person we're talking about right there. And then I say to my friends, if that person's not saved, then who is saved? They're enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. Man, if that person's not saved, I don't know who is saved then. So this person has to be saved. But it doesn't have to be everyone that falls away. Sometimes I believe God is merciful to backsliders. I, I, you know, I believe he's like this much of the time. I think this is actually the minority of the time. And he calls us back. How many here backsliders, uh, prodigal sons and daughters? You relate to what I've been through? Yeah, God's been good to us like that. Okay, keep going through chapter 6, verse 13. The Bible begins to, uh, Hebrews begins to point us back towards Abraham. Why was Abraham chosen? Because God wanted to bring about a nation. Look at verse 14. I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after having waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. The Jewish people were not picked just because they were better people. We don't support Israel because everything they do what is, is right. And we don't go against Palestine because they're Muslims following a demonic prophet. We love all of them, and we believe they all need to be saved. But here's the reason why our alliance as Christians is towards Israel is because God chose them. God blessed them with the land. Now, we got to pray they do the right thing and that they're just and fair. Can I hear an amen to that? But nothing takes away the promises of God. God is still looking out for his people. And after 1,800 plus years for them to come back to the land in the 40s and then to establish Jerusalem as their capital, that's a sign of the end times to you and I. So you better take that serious. And if you think right now that the woke people who support Palestine are on your side, just remember what those woke people did during Black Lives Matter. They don't like you. They don't like Christians. And certainly the Muslims of Palestine don't like us either. They have no love for us. So side with the Jewish people with wisdom to pray and ask God to save both Palestinian and Jew. Can I hear an amen to them? But this is why God chose them. Not because they're special in the sense of like they did something. Not because they're so amazing out of all of the other people groups of that time. But God wanted a nation to show his blessings to. That nation has been the apple of his eye, his treasure. And that started with Abraham. And then Abraham, chapter 7, blessed Melchizedek. And then Melchizedek is then the priest that Jesus can be like. That's why you see in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, if perfection could have been obtained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? And we have answered that question, and you can go down to verse 17. Why was that important? Because God had declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then notice this in verse 21, the Lord has sworn he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Now in chapter 8, we begin to learn about how Jesus not only is the high priest, but Jesus is also the sacrifice. Notice this when you go to... Uh, uh, Chapter 8, verse 6. But in fact, the ministry that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant, which he is the mediator, is superior to the old one. Everybody say old covenant and new covenant. Thank you. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. Now notice this. As this prophecy comes forth, the days are coming, declares the Lord in verse 8, when I will make a what kind of a covenant? 
What kind of a covenant in verse 8 is he going to make? Come on, somebody shout out new. Amen. Help them, brother. It says that he will declare to them, I will make a what kind of covenant? Thank you. New covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them out of Egypt. Look at verse 10. This covenant I will establish will be with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws where? In their minds and write them upon where? Their hearts. Do you notice that the relationship is going to be spiritual? And then in verse 13, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. This is why we believe the book of Hebrews is written before 70 AD, because 70 AD is when the temple gets destroyed. And Paul is saying to them, you still see the remnants of that old covenant, but it is soon to disappear. How many know Jesus' prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem is a pretty amazing feat? He talked about that years before it happened, and even Paul here, taking him at his word, says, you still see it. It's out there, even though we're still in the new covenant. They're still going about their business over there at that temple, but that is soon to disappear. Then in chapter 9, you see that all of the things of the old covenant were brought about to give us a type and a shadow. But the most important, look at verse 11, is the priesthood and the blood. It's not so much the different parts of the tabernacle, the holy place, and the holy of holies, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and and all of the priestly garments, and the brazen laver and altar. All of those things are still shadows of Jesus. But the most important thing, look at chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and cattle but he entered the holy place once for all by his what? By his what? His own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Did you all catch that right there? Did you all notice what just happened? We had heard it before. I didn't have a chance to, to read it today, but we've heard it before that actually the entire system of the Old Testament was a type and shadow of what was already in heaven. And now when Jesus goes there, it's not about the things themselves. It's about him as the high priest coming with the blood. Everything was determined by the priest and the blood. If you want to know what that whole system was about, it was about a priest offering up blood so that God would not strike us in our sin. And yet the Bible says that Jesus doesn't go to the shadow, to the model of it, to to the Lego set of it. He goes to the original temple in the presence of God the Father before the altar and the throne there, and he presents his blood as the high priest. Hallelujah. How many think they've been doing pretty good up here? Amen. Okay, guys, go back there and sit next next to your mom. Thank you. Now, check this out. Keep going. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. It was necessary then for the copies, notice this, it was necessary for the what? The copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So if the copies had to have animals' blood, how much more so the real deal? Verse 24, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only a what? That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Does everybody see that? I said, does everybody see that? 
If Jesus had not gone to the presence of God, there would be no forgiveness of sin today. No religion could give you forgiveness. That's the only way it could be done. You ask Muslims, just ask them when you talk to them, how do you get forgiveness? The moment they start talking about their good works, you know you have entered into a dead-end religion. You have, it's just a dead end because how can your good works ascend you to heaven and get you cleansed of the sins you've committed? Think about it. I mean, just think about it in matter, space, and time. So the lies that I told when I was a young person, the misbehaving I did in church, all of those things, and growing up and then doing drugs and selling drugs, whatever my sins were, how can any work I do today make up for that thing I did back then? It's impossible. It's impossible. Well, I'm, I'm going to do 10 good works for the one bad I did. Like, where is that math even? You don't even know what that is. It is a heresy. Islam is a heresy of Christianity. It bases much of what it teaches off of Christianity, and then it's heretical. It's a lie, and it doesn't even make any sense. Well, I could do uh, 10 laps here to make up for what I did there because it's like losing weight and calories. No, sin, does not, sin is not like calories. One sin in the Garden of Eden expelled them Talk about there, there being just a, a, a non-correlation to one-to-one. One sin expelled them out of the garden, caused us the perfect earth that we have, brought the devil to be our master, our God of this age with authority, and put us into a damnable state. That's one sin. Well, how would you think ten sins is going to do? How are you ever going to make up for that? And then oftentimes I ask people, just pull out a calculator and I'll do it for you. How often do you think people sin? It's like ask your Muslim friend, how, how many times have you lusted? How many times have you, uh, you know, said God's name, you know, not in a form of prayer, but you take it in vain or disobeyed your parents? If you take on average that a person lives to be 80 and you minus their adolescence years, so 80 minus 12, you got 68 years for potential sin, 68 times 365 days a year, that's 24,000 days, 820. Everybody tracking with me? Now, how many days, uh, how many sins on average do you think a person sins a day? Let's just say three on average, three. And that, how many know that's good? You're a good sinner if you only sin three times, only lusting three times, only, you know, being uh, against your parents at home three times. Come on. That's 74,000 sins in your lifetime. One sin got us kicked out the Garden of Eden. I don't care how many times you pray towards a rock in Mecca. That ain't changing nothing. I don't care how many times you go to the mosque, how many times you pray. It does not matter. You can't make up 74,000, not even logically. And then if it was a correlation of one-to-one, which obviously we saw it wasn't, one sin blew up the whole universe. But even if it was a correlation of one-to-one, how does anything good go to the past and bring justice to it? It doesn't. As a matter of fact, our whole judicial system is based on this. In other words, you not only suffer the punitive justice when you go to the court, but you also suffer on behalf of the people, on behalf of the crime that you've uh, committed and those that you have hurt. It's not just you going to prison is now good enough. You need to suffer so that the people out here are paid back for what you've done to them. Is everybody tracking with me? Well, how do you give back to God what you've done to him? How do you give back? It's not like you can give him back the, you know, like, the, like I stole stuff when I was a kid. I can give that back to somebody and maybe give them back a little bit more. How can I take and give back to God the lies that I told? How can I do that towards God and his justice? God is an eternal being. Does everybody get that? One sin towards our God damned us to hell in the first place. How can I ever pay those things back? So here's how justice is met 
justice and mercy kiss at the cross where Jesus, the eternal Son of God, takes our punishment. Does everybody see that? Because if you don't see that, you'll let people get you to think that the substitution of Jesus is unfair. This is how they'll say it. They'll say, well, imagine Joe is disciplining his children. And so the youngest, Titus, that's his name, does something wrong. So how Joe disciplines Titus is he beats Lucas, the older one. That's how they'll get you to think that substitutionary sacrifice is illogical. That's how they'll bring it back to us. They'll they'll hear what we said and go, okay, well, maybe you have a point. But then y'all believe that the way the Father forgives you is by beating Jesus, the only one that doesn't sin. He beats the good one on behalf of all you, and they miss it. Everybody say they miss it. Some of you don't even know these arguments, and you'll fall for them unless I inoculate them to you now in the name of Jesus. Are you learning? I said, are you learning in Jesus' name? What we say to them is that our sin was against God and his eternal nature. When Jesus takes our punishment, it is God himself taking our punishment because in actuality, no one can. And then if they say, well, why does he just forgive? He doesn't need to sacrifice. Just have him forgive. If he were just to forgive, there would then be no justice. He would only be merciful. Is everybody tracking with me? So how is mercy and justice being met in any other religion? It's not. You're only focusing on one side or the other. At the cross, justice and mercy meet. So here you talk to the Hindu. Let's go to the Hindu now. Okay, here's here's how it's going to be just. You're going to live out as many lifetimes and suffer all your karma to pay back for everything you did. Even though they give you no explanation to how these ratios will be set, somehow you'll learn how to be a better human by coming back as a dog. This is what they actually teach. So you'll learn how to be a better human now by being a dog. Okay, that makes absolutely no sense. But you'll be punished, and then you'll come back. And then if you were uh, mean to people, then you'll come back sick and all of these other things. Now that may talk about the justice, but where is the mercy? Where is the mercy of God in that system? Because according to our God, one sin, we would be doing that for eternity. It would never be, the karma would never be dealt with. Is everybody tracking with me? I need you guys to get this. You could never pay off one sin of eternity because you sinned against an eternal God. It's like when you take your cell phone and push it up against the mirror. It just goes back and forth, back and forth. Your one sin against God has not yet even been resolved if you don't have Jesus. It is still in itself a wickedness before God. And doing one thing will not stop that thing from traveling. It's against an eternal God. So now you're trying to move forward with your karma to absolve yourself of one sin. It will not happen. But granted to the argument, if they think it will, then you ask them, where is the mercy? Where is actually the forgiveness? Your God just tells me to work it through all of these different lives. There's no mercy. When the Bible says God is love, remember we talked about his attributes, all-powerful, all-knowing, many in one, and so forth. It's the love of God that we see the mercy and the justice. Can I hear an amen? That's why when you go to chapter 10, verse 5, prophesied about Jesus, it says, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings. You were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Now, everybody understand this because even the Muslims have this as it, as one of their holidays. They recognize that Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his son, but they say it was Ishmael. The Bible is obviously correct, and it's Isaac. But what would be the purpose of God testing Abraham to sacrifice his son? In Islam or any other religion, what is the purpose of that? There is none. 
But notice, Jehovah Jireh, I myself, Jesus said, will provide the lamb. What is that a picture of? The father sacrificing the son, who the son is in the exact representation. Didn't we learn that of the father? So it's God himself, the eternal God, taking our sins that we have done against him in an eternal weight. He takes it upon himself and suffers and dies for us in the flesh, doesn't stop existing. Sometimes people think, how could God die? He didn't die in the sense of stop existing. He just allowed a body to die so that his eternal essence could absolve us of our sins against him. I know not of any other way to find forgiveness, none that is rational, none that deals with the love and the mercy of God. Oh, to the glories of Jesus Christ. Jesus is in a category all by himself. I hope that you have found the glory of Jesus. And notice this in verse 14. By how many sacrifices? Verse 14. Chapter 10, verse 14. How many sacrifices? One. But by how many? One sacrifice. He has made perfect forever those who are being made what? Holy. Now we're going to talk about our Roman Catholic friends. They want to bring Jesus to communion out of heaven into the bread so you can eat him every week so that he can be re-sacrificed or that same sacrifice to be re-offered. The Bible is very clear that communion is not a re-offering of the sacrifice of Jesus. Communion is a remembrance of that. How do you know? Why? You can look at the very first communion. He's still there, and he goes, this is my body, this is my blood. How many know he didn't just transform into a wafer and some wine that day? So it could not be his literal body and blood. It must be a representation. But it's not the communion that saves. It's the sacrifice Jesus made that saves. I pray that you see this because even as many as I know love Jesus here today, I see that many of you don't understand your place in Christ. Sometimes you think because of one issue, one sin, that you have lost your salvation. No, the one who loses is the one who chooses to walk away. It's not the one who sins. The Christian who sins has the blessing of forgiveness because Jesus has perfected them. Your perfection is like a cloak of righteousness that you put on. You don't lose it just because you've sinned. Sin is what separates you from God over time in a hardness of heart that leads you to turn away from God. But as long as your heart is right before God, the sinner can be, uh, the saint can be forgiven just like the sinner is. Can I hear an amen to that? Go to 1 John chapter 2. Some of you don't get that, and I'm going to spend a little time here. Because many of you hear the teaching of, well, well, Pastor, you said I could lose my salvation. Chapter 2, please. And you start to begin to wonder, have I, have I lost my salvation because I've done this sin? No, you don't understand how it works. Chapter 2, verse 1. Notice this. My dear children, I write this to you, that you do not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours only, but for the sins of the what? The whole world. See, Jesus remains our atonement for sacrifice. Not through communion, not through religion, by coming to him and confessing to him. Just go up to chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess, then we're forgiven. So the Christian who's confessing, they are forgiven. Chapter uh, 1, verse 8, rather. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth is not in us. If we confess our it was chapter uh, 1, verse 9. If we confess our what? Our sins, he is faithful and just and will do what? Forgive us and purify us from how much unrighteousness? All. Praise God. Now somebody's being encouraged. So just because you've sinned as a Christian, don't think you've fallen away. That's that's the devil's lie of condemnation. Walking away from Christ 
is to turn away from the blood, is to deny him as your Lord, and to be hard in a continual state of sin. Now going back to Hebrews, going now to the uh, chapter 10, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. Notice that the curtain in the tabernacle was a symbol of Jesus' body ripped open for us. Since we have such a great high priest of the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Praise God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And then here's a plug for church today. Look at verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and to good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Everybody go, ah. That's the lovey-dovey part. But now go to verse 26. This is that fearful part that we got to remember. If we deliberately keep on sinning after having received a knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Do you see what I've taught you now in balance? Is there forgiveness for the Christian who sins? Absolutely. But is there a danger for the one who continues in sin after knowing better? Yes, because then no sacrifice is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses, I thought we were once saved, always saved. No, no. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that what? Sanctified them. Oh, baby, you know you were saved if you were sanctified. And who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will just judge sinners. The Lord will just judge the, the wicked, pagan, Babylonians, Egyptians. No, the Lord will judge his people. This is for everybody, especially his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So make sure you have the right balance. Then we go to Hebrews chapter 11. How many love Hebrews chapter 11? Hall of faith, praise God. We went through each one of them. I wasn't sure when we came to this section if I would do it all in one week. Can you imagine that, sister? I was actually thinking I might do it in one week. Of course that didn't happen. I think we were here for like 20 weeks. We went through every one of them, some more than once. One of the things that just stands out to me is obviously the definition of faith, that confidence of what uh, we hope for, the assurance of what we do not see. And then we see that faith had action. So it wasn't just make-believe. It was faith trusting, faith doing, faith obeying, faith preaching, faith, all of this. Everything was inspired by faith. And then when you get to the end of Hebrews chapter 11, notice this, verse 39 these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had promised, uh, had been promised, since God had been planning something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made what? Perfect. So notice all of the Old Testament saints were waiting for what we now have in the new covenant. 
Shame on us if we're bored in church. Shame on us if we don't stay connected to this new covenant when they were all waiting for it. Sometimes we're like, I wish I could be Moses. I wish I could have split the Red Sea. Moses wished he could be here now, filled with the Holy Ghost, boom, shakalaka, power, having an intimate relationship with Jesus. Jesus, remember, reiterated this saying, John the Baptist, he was the greatest out of the Old Testament prophets, but the one now that's the least in the kingdom of God is even greater than him. You remember Jesus saying that? That's powerful to remind us of how great it is to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, to be born again. Remember, Nicodemus didn't even understand. Born again, does that mean I go up into my mother's womb again? I know my youngest, Titus, tries it all the time. But it's like, don't go up in there. Leave her alone. She already birthed you, you know. But that's not what born again is, a new physical life. It's a new spiritual life, born of the Spirit. Amen? Now look at Hebrews chapter 12. Powerful. As we have get, we're getting close to the end now, we've learned about all of the Old Testament being types and shadows of Jesus and Jesus being the high priest and the order of Melchizedek offering up his blood in the true heavenly temple and now following the example of all of these uh, people who have gone before us. And then now we see, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, right? For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are now to look to Jesus as our example. He's ascended into heaven. He's the conquering king waiting to come back for his people. And we are to not be discouraged when we go through hard times. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. One of our precious brothers, a friend of a friend, preaching in Phoenix over the weekend, got shot directly in the head. Pray for them. The wife is giving us updates through the Facebook how terrible of a time that we live in, that street preachers are getting shot. At the same time, there's mild persecution. My dad, mostly with retirement folks, I just put the video up on my personal page, in Ocala, Florida, was preaching this past weekend at the lighting of the Christmas tree there in that small town. He said, for the first time, we were persecuted by the people out there. Sweet southern folks, I guess, didn't want to hear it anymore. And then I'm reminded of Juan and others who go and preach in front of the abortion clinics who not only want to murder babies, but they want to kill us so that we won't be there to stop murdering babies. They threaten us all the time. Persecution's real. Maybe you face it on your job. Maybe you face it from family members. Who are you and I supposed to look to? We're supposed to look to Jesus and the cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. We should know their names. We should teach them to our children. We should hand down these stories so that our brothers and sisters uh, will be encouraged by, by our children. Uh, our children will learn by these examples to be like Daniel. I used to read about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I was like, man, that's crazy times. I'm now thinking that Evan, Edward, Lucas, man, this is the new Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think, I'm thinking, man, Chicago's like Babylon now. I'm like, this is what it, Babylon was like, man. They, they, they're perverse. They're angry at God. You have now people on TikTok, it was a new trend, to read the letter from uh, Osama bin Laden, and now they're saying, I'm taking his side. Imagine to come so far from the right and wrong of the world to now think Osama bin Laden had a point to fly planes into the World Trade Center buildings. This is where we've come from. Someone was innocent, you know, not necessarily innocent, he was doing drugs, but, you know, George Floyd shouldn't have been killed, he was killed, and we're angry about it, now we're going to destroy cities. Hey, we're upset about what's going on with the Jewish-Palestinian thing, so we're going to go into Jewish land and kill a thousand partiers and people, you know, in their homes. You know, we're upset about what's happening in America, so we're going to start strapping bombs on ourselves and fly planes into buildings again. I mean, this is the world that we live in. It's where they're calling evil good and good evil. May God have mercy with all those that are corrupt, all those that are perverse, 
all those that are changing the standards of God, may God bring a revival. I was just preaching in a public high school last week because they can do that if a school-led club invites you, and I was invited. And though there wasn't many there, I was so impressed to see that some did come and the gospel was preached. How many want to see that happen again in our college campuses, in our schools, and on our jobs? Amen? And that's why he teaches us in Hebrews chapter 12 not to make light of the Lord's discipline because these things will teach us. They will increase our faith. We may not like to work out, and I can identify with that, but it's for your discipline. It's for your good. And then he says in verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone, to be holy, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. And then here's one of our last warnings. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. If you can't fall short of it, why am I warned of falling short? Make sure no one falls short of the, uh, of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and causes many, uh, causes trouble and defiles many. Notice that, that bitterness is a sneaky little root that will get in our hearts and defile us. Hebrews chapter 13, are you ready for today's message? That was a long introduction, but I think I can do it. There's only a few verses today. We concluded last week and the weeks prior looking at Hebrews chapter 13. He'll never leave us nor forsake us there in uh, verses uh, 4, 5, and 6. And that the high priest Jesus went in to make the offering for us. And yet his body uh, was uh, taken outside, you know, uh, of the camp as they used to do with their sacrifices. Golgotha was outside of the city. And then in verse 15 it says, Now because of Jesus, let us continually praise, uh, give God the sacrifice of praise with the fruit of our lips and that openly profess his name. And let's not forget to do good deeds and to share with others. For with such sacrifices God is pleased. And then to obey your leaders and uh, you know listen to them because they're watching over you. And these are good leaders. And then he says in verse 18, Pray for us that we can have a clear conscience. Now let's go to our notes please. In verses 20 to 25, where we're going to end, and I purposely uh, did all of that because I knew I wouldn't be long for our ending uh, passage here. I wanted you to have a great review of this uh, 25-month 25 we- uh, 25 sermon series. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. We'll read those final verses in a few moments, but I want you to think about this. The whole book of Hebrews can be summed up right there. May the God of peace, the God who always wanted peace with Adam and Eve, remember he goes out after them while they go running away naked. May the God of peace through the blood of this covenant from Jesus Christ, give to you the equipping to do everything for his will. You and I are not lacking any good thing. I think about, as we were talking about all those religions, what possibly can give them the strength to live a moral life? They don't have anything. The law itself kills, the Bible says. How many know that? It doesn't matter if it's coming through the Muslim prophet or a Hindu prophet. How many know just trying to change yourself and do better doesn't work so easy? It comes with a lot of hypocrisy. comes with a lot of failed New Year's resolutions. comes with a lot of I'll try betters. But the Bible says because of the blood of Jesus, you and I are equipped for every good work now. Every good work you're equipped for. So let's say you were like me and you're coming into Christianity and you got a potty mouth. You swear all the time. Jesus is equipping you by his blood to start speaking words of peace. I have not sworn since, uh, you know, 96. And I used to swear all the time, cuss all the time. 
I couldn't do that on my own. Jesus, by his blood, cleansed me, washed me, equipped me. I talk to people all the time from different religions. Let's be honest with lust. That's a big one. I asked them, when was the last time you lusted? When was the last time you looked at pornography? Pornography is rampant all throughout the Muslim world, the Hindu world, all throughout, and, and of course, even in the Christian world. But it's only truly the Christians that get free from it. Muslims just start marrying a bunch of wives. Hindus start doing the same thing. And it's like, how do we just please our flesh and try to make it as religious as possible? And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he's even going to change your thoughts. Remember when he said, if you lust after a woman, it's like you've committed the issue. Our God goes so deep. It's not just now not committing the act. It's having God cleanse the mind. Well, how do you get in there and do that? As I've said before, if you think you're going to do it yourself, it's like a broken computer trying to fix itself. Beep, boop, beep, boop, fix yourself. Beep, boop, beep. I don't know how. I'm broken. Beep, boop, beep, boop. Figure out a way, you know. It, it, seriously. And then others are like, well, I'll, I'll go to someone else and they'll fix me. You know what that's like? That's like you having a clogged artery in your heart and then going to get a heart transplant from a guy that's got two clogged arteries. Most people are worse than you, not better. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, the reason why you're so hard on yourself is because you know all your secrets. If you knew all my secrets, you would know how wicked I was without Jesus. Seriously, we, we, we think others are better. No, they're not any better. And oftentimes, sadly, they have to remind us when a pastor like Jack Scott in Indiana takes a 16-year-old girl from there to Illinois and gets arrested, does prison time. It, it reminds us pastors aren't any better than anybody else. When father so-and-so does this weird thing in the church or this gross thing, and then, you know, he gets convicted. Okay, priests aren't any better, so where do we go? Oh, with this leader. No, they all do the gross things. Anybody see the Dalai Lama kiss that child on the lips, all awkward and weird? It's like, no, the Dalai Lama's not right. Oprah's not right. She's not even married to her boyfriend. As I've said before, she became the spokesperson for mothers and wives, which she was neither of. All mothers and housewives and moms would sit down and watch Oprah to learn how to live a good life, and she's not a mom nor a housewife. Oh, we'll learn from Ellen how to be what? Degenerate? That's her last name. Oh, is it degenerate? It's my fault. But what are we going to learn from them? Oh, I'm going to learn from this guru. I'm going to learn from this president. Oh, no, you're not. Let's be honest. You know what most of the time that is? Is it's, it's us passing the buck to somebody else and saying it's their job. When if you are honest with yourself, and, it, and, if, and I'll put myself there with you because I've been there a hundred times. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, Jesus is the only one that changes. They know that. I believe that Romans chapter 1 says it's in the man's conscience to know God is the only one through Jesus. He's the only one. That's why when you look at world religions, more convert to Christianity than any other religion. The world is not becoming Muslim by conversion. They're just getting, it by, uh, you know, getting their numbers up because of their, their uh, rate of growth, uh, you know, population with babies. The world's not becoming Hindu. The world's not becoming Buddhist. A few New Agers here and there in America. No, but by far, China is being won to the Lord through evangelism. By far, Islam is losing in places like Northern Africa and in Iran, probably the fastest growing church with the Shia Muslims right now. Can I hear an amen to this? Christianity continually converts this way. Why? Because Christianity delivers something that people always were wanting. They wanted a new life. They wanted to be a new creation. But there was no way except to pray to their ancestors or do this religious thing. But how many know if any man is in Christ Jesus, the new creation has come. Behold, all things are new. The old has gone. That's what Jesus does. And so when we look at the, the eternal covenant, we get a scripture that comes to mind. Go quickly to Revelation chapter 
uh, 13 verse 8, the Bible says he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. You want to get an idea of how God looks at time, look at Revelation chapter 13 verse 8. How in the world is Jesus the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, before time even started? Because the universe starts matter, space, and time. Does everybody understand that? We've talked about that here. You don't have a thing called time without matter in space, okay? So when God creates matter in space-time, as they call it, space-time begins. But notice this, before space-time, in the mind of God, the lamb is already slain. He's an answer to a problem that he has not even yet allowed to come about yet. Even though free will brought about the problem by our own choice, God understood the problem and already had a solution. When people ask me about the problem of evil, I say, well, do you want the solution? His name is Jesus. Jesus has always been the answer. Now, some people feel that's a little bit unfair. Maybe we're like in God's video game, like he already knew all this. Why did he do that? Number one, he's God, you're not, and being mad about it doesn't change anything. I'm mad at God. It doesn't make you God and doesn't change anything. Let's just get over the emotion and go back to where we are, okay? You're God, uh, you're, you're, he's God, you're not. Let's figure it out from why he did it then. Let's just figure it out. He did it for his glory and for him to have people that choose him. Relationship is based on love and trust. Remember that robot example? Well, he could have did that with love. Love me, robot. Beep, boop, beep, boop. I love you. I love you. That's not what he wanted. So by God creating free will moral agents, he knew he would lose some. That was his choice. Now, at the end of the day, you can like it or not. God allowed people to be created who would be damned for eternity so that the ones that he created who chose him could be with him for eternity. You may not like that he allowed the other side to happen, but today it's your choice on whether or not you want to be on that side. But that is what he set up, and that is called his sovereignty. We're not God. We're not the creator. The creator decided it to be like this. And so for every sinner, there is a redemption and so if a sinner remains a sinner, that's not because he wished them to perish. The Bible says he wishes none to perish, but all to come to eternal life, to get to know him. He, it also says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. So when you look at what it was like in a timeless state, you look at the Father and the Son and the Spirit already having redemption before he takes on flesh and comes to be with us. Now continuing on, it says that he, Jesus, is the great shepherd of the sheep. Remember, we learned at the very beginning that he's in the image of the invisible God. He's the very character. He's the representation of his entire being and that all things were created through him. And now he takes on the divine attributes of the Father by being our shepherd. Just go to one quickly, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my what? The Lord is my what? Shepherd. But hold on. The word Lord there is Yahweh. The God of the Bible is my shepherd. And just put in the other tab so everybody can see it. Hebrews chapter 13, starting there in verse 20, it says that our Lord Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. How many great shepherds of the sheep can you have? How many first and last can you have? How many beginning and ends can you have? Come on, somebody. How many king of kings can you have? You can only have one. So that means Jesus is equal to the Father in his nature, but he is not the Father. So that means any title that is attributed to the Father can be given to Jesus. And so what we now realize, and turn quickly with me to John chapter 10, verse 27, is that this whole time throughout human history is that Jesus has been our shepherd. 
It was Jesus that appeared there to Moses in the burning bush. It was Jesus that came on the plains of Mamre to meet with Abraham and the two angels before they judged Sodom and Gomorrah. It was Jesus that spared Hagar from being rejected by Abraham and brought back in favor. It was Jesus who showed up as the fourth man in the fire. My sheep listen to my voice, Jesus speaking. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never what? Perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father, who has been, uh, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are what? Are one. Now look, look up just a little bit more there. Look up to verse 26. Look up to verse 26. I did tell you, but you did not believe the works I did in my father's name testify about me. But you did not believe me because you are not my sheep. And then he goes on to say, my sheep know my voice. Now, going back to the once they've always say things, some people go here and they go, well, you see, no one can take, him out of his, out, uh, uh, take us out of his hand. And then also in Romans chapter 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. All of that is true, but your choice can leave God. Does everybody get that? If my choice is to be with God, then no one takes me out of his hand. If my choice is to be with God, then nothing can separate me from his love. But can I walk away from God? Yes, can I disobey God? Yes, but, but while I'm serving God, no one can take me away from him. Amen. Now, going back to the passage there, he's the God of the eternal covenant through Jesus Christ. He's our great shepherd. He's equipping us for every good work. And then notice that he wants us to be doing what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. Every day, we're supposed to look to the Father and say, Jesus, help me to live through Jesus today to please you. Think about all that you do today. I'm a father I'm a husband. I'm pastoring this church. I do all of that through Jesus. Highlight that, please, through Jesus. Everything goes through Jesus. On the count of three, shout out your job to me. One, two, three. Okay, I heard teacher. I heard uh, a couple others. Do it all through Jesus. Amen. I wish I could have heard. I thought I was going to hear more. But I just was like, yeah, teacher. Sorry, that was a bad example of me trying to do that. But you know your job, and it's important to you, isn't it? And guess what? You're supposed to do that through Jesus. You're supposed to be a husband, a wife, through Jesus. We're supposed to do our hobbies through Jesus. One time I was playing a, a guy in volleyball, and I was beating him, and I was getting really excited. And he goes, pastors aren't supposed to do that. And I'm like, yes, pastors with Jesus are supposed to beat you. Or at least try. You know, like in somehow in his mind, like I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to let you win. Not around here. As a pastor, I do all things for the glory of God, and winning is one of them. And it's okay if you lose, but did you do it through Jesus? Sometimes you take L's through Jesus. How many know you lose through Jesus? Life is not all about wins, is it? You're going to lose jobs. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose money. Do it with Jesus. Why do we think to ourselves that problems change who Jesus is? Nothing's changed. Right now, most of us haven't lost somebody close to us in the, in the, in the, in the recent, recent present, you know. Some of us have. They were in the first service. I love them, and I pray for them. Some of you, some of you even here, I think, have. But most of us, on a, on a day-to-day basis, we don't have people that we love that are lost. But guess what? Tomorrow can change all of that. But nothing has changed about Jesus, right? So that means I go through today, which is like, good. I, I haven't lost my mom and my dad. I haven't lost any children. I go through today with Jesus. But I'm ready tomorrow if I should get a call that my 80-year-old mom has passed away. I go through that with Jesus. We should never be under the understanding that because of our circumstances changing, that God changes. Remember, we've already learned in this passage that he is the, yet, the same yesterday, today, and for how long? 
Amen. Just go to the passage, uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 13. Look at what it says in verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Never forget that God is always with you. And when it says to him be the glory forever and ever, amen, I often wonder what other people think about when they do what they do. See, for me, everything's about God's glory. But if you don't believe in God, what are you doing it for? Oh, I do it for my family so I can provide. Okay, but you know your family's going to die one day. They're going to forget about you. Oh, no, that's, that's not true. They'll never forget about me. Well, let me ask you right now. Who's your great, great, great grandparent? You've already forgot about them, right? Think about that. And if I said to you right now, list off all your nieces and nephews, most of you would be like, oh, I think I'm still forgetting one, you know? Or even just your cousins. So think about three, four, five generations from now. You're gone. You're dust. So why do you do what you do? Oh, I do it so I can have a good life. Oh, yeah, so you make your life a little bit comfortable, and then what? Oh, then I'm going to die. Okay, so then everything you did just goes up in smoke, just dust? Oh, yeah, because that's what happens. You know, we all just go back to dust. I had one man say that. And I go, well, if that's where you're headed, why don't you just give me some of your dust right now? Seriously, just hand over your wallet. Give me some of your dust right now. I'll give it, I'll, you know, I'll give it to the poor in my community. Oh, no, no, I'm going to use it. So the selfish idea is all about their little 70 years, 80 years, and then it's all gone. How about this? You were made for a purpose and treasures forever and eternity. That will put a pep in your step. That will help you understand there's a difference just between you selfishly using a few things for a few years before you turn to dust. And I know many sinners, everybody get this, I know many sinners wish they turned to dust, but they're going to face God on judgment day. After Hitler took his life, he didn't turn to dust. He faced the God of the Jewish people. After uh, these world religions die, these school you know, shooters, whoever you think of, after they die, they're like, oh, man, it's over. I'm going back to dust. Nope, you just found out something real quick that you're a soul, and your soul lives past your body. So my encouragement is not to think about the Roman Empire every day, as some uh, you know, men are doing, but to think about Jesus and what you're doing. So, man, I'm a good father because God loves fathers and rewards fathers. I'm a good husband because God loves husbands, and he rewards husbands. So what I do, think about this, what I do here will last for eternity if I've done it for God. Amen. Now let's close out here as Daryl comes. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have, in fact, written to you quite briefly. I love this about Paul. He writes 13 chapters on probably the most depth that we'll ever get comparing the new covenant to the old covenant, and he says this was just briefly. Anybody get that? Did you get that, Nancy? 13 chapters going into all the types and shadows. Took us 25 months uh, to do it, or excuse me, 15 months rather, to do it, and he says this was brief. I kind of relate to that. Anybody long-winded in here can relate to that? Is it just me? Now notice why I think this is Paul here, because now he starts to talk about Timothy. He says, I want you to know our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I'll come with him to see you. See, they've been in jail. Greet all your leaders and the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greeting. Another reason why I think it's Paul is because the book of Acts and Romans 15.33 ends with Paul in jail in Rome. And then he ends with grace be with you all. Another one of Paul's hallmark endings. If you go back to verse 20, we can ask ourselves this question. Do we have the God of peace today? And is his blood washing us clean, empowering us to live life for him? I don't know what the next sermon series will be. Usually after something really long and intensive like this, I like to pre preach the next few weeks or months, just whatever the Lord gives me to show up and not um, have to study so rigorously. 
But brothers and sisters, I can't think of a better place to end this sermon series thinking about the God of peace and what he offers us through the blood of Jesus. I mean, if you were to sit down with this author, Paul, and be like, what, what was this whole thing about? What was all of the Old Testament about? What was all of these warnings about? Why did you tell us about all these people of the hall of faith? He'd be because, he would say, because God wants to know you. God wants to be in a relationship with you. God wants us to do all the good works that he has for us through Jesus. He doesn't want us to get so easily discouraged. I think about people who come and leave the church all the time, and I'm like, if this is how you act now, how are you going to do it during persecution? How are you going to serve Jesus when your job is on the line? What are you going to do when things really get tough? I don't know how, how long it's going to take before more riots happen again, but brothers and sisters, we're not promised an easy road on our way to heaven. We need to be ready. And then not only that, I think about people who continually battle with their temptation as if Jesus is not better than temptation, as if Jesus' blood and his sacrifice is not enough, or him being our shepherd is not, like he's not a good shepherd. And I, you know, I hear these struggles sometimes, and I'm a pastor, I love you, I'm not going anywhere, but it's like, man, do you really hang out with Jesus? Because what does the Bible say in Psalm 23? The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters or still waters to restore my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Everybody say, he leads me. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I don't have the rest. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I believe is after the paths of righteousness. Oh, thank you, my brother. Notice this. Yeah, after uh, paths of righteousness... Notice this, even though I walk through the, val uh, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I can't think about a Christianity where Jesus is not comforting me. I can't imagine that. I don't know, I'm just, just speaking to you as a pastor right now. I mean, the Bible says, may the God of peace be with you, and I don't see a lot of peace in, in people's hearts here. I mean, I know we got strong Christians, but I see a lot of you struggle with peace. I, I mean, I've been there, but when was the last time you walked through a valley with Jesus and didn't give up? When was the last time you were tempted and said, God is worth it? Notice the next part. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You look at how he says he's the great shepherd of the sheep. When I think of the great shepherd of the sheep, I think of Psalm 23, and then this comes here. I'm going to sit at a table while my enemies are all around me. Most of the time when we face enemies, we're freaking out. We're giving up on God. We're walking away. I have a picture on my wall that was taken, I think, like in 2010. I could bring it out here right now, but it would embarrass a lot of the people that are on there. It's a snapshot of what the church was at that time. And I look at it, I mean, 90% are not even serving the Lord. I was looking at one picture of this young lady, and I said, I think she's divorced now. I don't know if she's serving God. And then I looked at another one. I followed up on him. He's married to another man. He's in a gay relationship. This week he's promoting some transgender thing. And I'm like, you just gave up on God. You just took the route that was of the easiest and the least resistance. I remember almost every single time when these people leave. It never starts off with, I'm going to go marry a man. This gentleman that I'm thinking of that now, now is married to a man, it started off with him writing me some long letter about he was offended over us holding him accountable to his life. 
It was a long letter. I know you guys love me, but you're just always in my business, and I just feel like I would do better somewhere else. I, I, I wish in some way that I could have gone into the future and taken a picture of him married to a man and show it to him that day he wrote the letter and go, hey, but look at this. This is what I'm trying to hold back in your life right now. This is what's at stake right now. You do not know what happens when you leave the shepherd. You have no idea what's in front of you right now. This is what we're talking about. Or I wish this one young lady that I'm thinking of was in our Bible school, married one of the young men of the church, got offended as well. Most of the time it's offense. Remember, bitterness is like a root. Now she's divorced, single mom. And... Uh, I wish I could just talk to her, you know, just show her that picture and be like, this is who you're going to be. You think your marriage will survive this without you having God? That may work for other sinners out there, but you are a wild kind of sinner. You will not stay with a man very long, and he will not stay with you because the only reason why you honored marriage is because you were in a church that taught you to honor it. Look, this is where you go without your shepherd. And yet, I'm telling you, I've watched people go through these same kinds of problems. And they're just at fogo de chow, baby. They're just, I'll just take some more of this. They're just eating up the goodness of God. You and your wife are like one of them. Years go by and you just look at them. They're just plump on the blessings of Jesus. Healthy, healthy. Come on. Got some healthy people up in here. And it's like, what happened? Well, Someone left and tried to fight their own battle and got whooped by the devil. The other one sat at the table that was prepared in front of him to watch the battle and let someone else conquer it for them. One more example. Like I said in the first service, you will always be a proverb to me. Just be happy I don't mention your name. Amen? I said amen. You will always be a proverb. I hope I'm a proverb to you. Sometimes people are like, you talk about too many people. Well, then I'll talk about you now, okay? Listen, I'm going to keep it real with you always. Somebody just wrote my personal Facebook page the other day. Lauren sent it to me because I don't check it, by the way. This is something I, the Lord delivered me from. Thank you, Jesus. Social media has drained so much time. Like one meme says uh, of a person laying on their deathbed, I wish I argued more. No, that's not something you will say on your deathbed. Said no one ever, okay? So anyway, so there, she, she uh, sent it to me, and you know what it said? So-and-so died last year. And I didn't even remember the name. I wish I knew every backslider's name, but I don't always. So she sent this to me, and I didn't connect it that it was actually sent to me. I thought it was just sent to her. And I just said, I am so sorry for, for your loss, Lauren. Who is that? I don't remember who that is. And she was like, Joe, that was sent to you. So I got looking it up. Here's the story. Young man used to go to this church, used to hang out with me and some of the others when the church was a bit smaller and I was doing all that. And uh, he got offended too. Took off. He was smarter than what we were doing here. Years and years go by. I looked at his Facebook. Last post was from, uh, you know, 23, 22. He was about 10 years younger than me, still single, not married, no, no legacy. Doing, you know, construction, just living his own life. But here's the story. This is what we got from the news article. Here it is. You ready? Got into a fight with his roommate. Went to his room to be safe. Roommate went and got the gun. Went to his room, shot him one time. He bled out crawling for the door. And let me just tell you right here, this is not gang related. This is as gringo as you come. If I mention the guy, let's put it this way. He was my snowboarding friend, and he was in a fancy part of Florida. 
So it's not like he was slanging crack and somebody came up on him, you know, and shot him. And, no, no. It's just two roommates having a fight. Boom, you're dead. I'm thinking to myself, this guy went from being in our church to now being on his floor grabbing for the door trying to get out from his roommate shooting him. Do you think he realized when he left the good shepherd that that was what was ahead of him? Do you think, I mean, and if I tried to talk to him that day, do you think he would have believed me? Listen to me, bro. Don't do this. Just stay where you're at. Live for Jesus. And for him, it would be get a wife, settle down, be a man of God. You know, do what the Lord's. That's what the shepherd is leading you to do. Don't go out here trying to go to the clubs of Florida. Don't try to be a cool kid and get an apartment with some of your friends and just be, you know, teenagers the rest of your life. He probably would have looked at me because I know I said something like that, but I'm saying if I would have said the exact same thing, he probably would have looked at me and been like, so you're just a legalist. You're jealous. I'm going to go to another church. I'm going to be fine. And I'm not saying other churches don't do good things. I'm just saying I've watched so many people leave the shepherd of their soul and get destroyed. Now watch, and I don't say this to boast, but in the Lord, I look at all of those years. And when we were hanging out, how many kids did we have at that time? One or two? Two. And I look at how God has blessed me all of those years. All of those years, he's sitting, wasting his life away. I'm sitting at the table getting fat off the blessings of God. Surely, or so, excuse me, you're, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I've already been out there enough. I'm not better than him. I just want everyone to hear this. I have been out there enough. I have no desire to fight those enemies without Jesus fighting those battles for me. Amen. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have a choice today as we go back to those closing notes. Is Jesus going to be your God of peace? Is his blood going to be what cleanses you? And is he going to be the shepherd of your soul? That's your choice. Because, brothers and sisters, I can't promise you tomorrow, and maybe even bad things could happen to good people, to us. It could happen. I could get shot just like that pastor got shot. But here's the thing. I have no regrets that today's my last day. What if this was my last letter to you? Imagine that. Man, that's the last thing you heard from me. Would you take it serious? I pray that you would. Because you got work to do, brothers and sisters. You can't sit back and just let somebody else do it for you. You can't say someone else is going to raise my kids. No, you better raise your kids. You can't say someone else is going to reach that community. You reach that community. You can't say, well, someone else is going to, uh, you know, take these kids out as, as Brother Daryl's been doing. No, man, you got to, if God called you to do it, you better get out there and do all that you can. And don't use an excuse, man, oh, I don't have enough abilities. I don't have any of these things. No, you'll be surprised what God will do for you as you get out into the harvest field and start serving him. I was at that high school club, and I told my daughter, I said, I'm going to rap. Just get ready for it. You will be embarrassed because she's a worker there. I said, I'm going to rap. You're going to get embarrassed, but just deal with it. And so she said to me, she's like, oh, don't do it, Dad. Don't do it. And I'm like, I'm for sure going to do it. That's, it's just happening. I promise you that. I do it, right? I do this. And then Lawrence, you know, he gets the little video of it. But what happened at the end? Everybody was like, oh, you rap. That was so amazing. And I'm literally thinking to myself, I stink at rapping. You all know I stink at rapping, but why are you happy that I did it? You know why they're happy? Because a 46-year-old gray-haired guy made them feel special for a little bit. That's all, the, that's all that happened. It was, it was somebody coming into their world going, man, I care enough about you to stop preaching for a minute to rap to you. 
That's all it was. It was them realizing that somebody gave up their time and wanted to love on me. And this is the thing. You may not think you're qualified to be where you're at. Well, I'm not good enough to go here. I'm not good enough. Go there anyway. Show up and watch what God will do. As the Bible says, he does not call the equipped. He does not call the equipped. He equips the called. He equips those who say, I want to do something good for you, Jesus. Jesus, I'm tired of watching the world go to hell in a handbasket. I'm tired of watching teenagers reject you and not know you. Jesus, I want to get out there and do it. Lead me, great shepherd. And then we change the world one person at a time. One last testimony before we go about how one person's life can be changed. When you came to this church, your life was changed. And more than likely, it came from some of the most unlikely people inviting you or telling you about what we were doing. For example, Juan, leading our social media uh, Instagram for Chicago for Jesus, has over 50,000 followers. Juan was a bisexual partier. That's what Juan was. One, one of the posts I put up with Lawrence preaching at the gay community, one of my friends commented and said, man, why do you call it dark? I think Belmont and Clark's a nice place. So I started preaching to him and all that. And I said, and by the way, the guy who made the post used to go out there all the time. It's like, oh, okay, well, I got to think about that, you know. And then what about the testimonies of those who are, you, you know, leading our youth ministry, like Joe B. and his wife that just took our young people to uh, Momentum this past weekend. Joe B. came to this youth group himself as a backslidden youth seeking God. Now he's our youth director. I think about each one of you and your testimonies. If you were waiting for the perfect pastor, you never would have gotten saved. And now if you're saying, I'm not going to go do my good work because I'm not the perfect leader, then who else is going to, no one's going to get saved. We're all going to be sitting here waiting for the next perfect person, and we're missing it. The good shepherd is the one that's perfect. And show this, please, in the King James real quick. Because, because he's perfect, he makes us perfect. That word equipped is actually the word for perfect. Notice it in the King James. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, I believe. It says that he will make you perfect in every good work. Highlight that, please, because some people are like, oh, only God's perfect. Well, if he's perfect, can he make you perfect? You're supposed to be the perfect mom for your kids. You're supposed to be the perfect dad. You're the perfect youth leader, Joe B, because nobody else is showing up today to most of these high schools. I was talking to that guy who got me into those high schools and, and you know, had me preach. I said, how many more do you want to get to and what's going on? He said, I want to get to all of them, but I don't have enough workers. I said, how many pastors are helping you? He said, I hardly got any. You're one of the most, uh, you know, radical ones that I have. I said, bro, you're telling me pastors who get paid full time to be at their jobs and all this are, are hard to get to come into the schools? He said, yeah, some of them I've been waiting in, for months and years to get them to come visit the school. And then don't get me started, when we take our kids to these conventions, these, these denominational things, they charge us like $900. I said, did we, this past week, I said, did we even go to a stadium to rent it? No, no, we just went to another person's church. We had to pay $900 to go to their church and have church because they called it a conference. That's why we give away everything for free here. Every outreach, every conference, everything. I'm never going to make a dollar amount for you to walk back into those doors. And I'm thinking to myself, we got a whole world going to hell, and you're charging kids to come. Our whole youth group couldn't come because we can't afford it. Out of that 900, we scholarshiped almost everybody. 
It's like Metro Praise is going to take up three offerings now so we can take our kids to church in Naperville. That's where it was hosted, at church in Naperville. I'm like, we'll have a church service right here. I'll fit you all in for free. Y'all Naperville folks come right here. And then when we can't fit, we'll go into the parking lot. We'll go out there and preach on the streets. Like, what are we doing? Like, do we have so many young people that now we got to charge their parents this 80 bucks to come? And I'm lost, friends. I really am because enough people aren't doing enough good works. But I thank God that you're doing it. And I hope this week, Thanksgiving, is your opportunity to reach out to more friends and family. Even if they're not saved, ask them if you can lead the prayer, okay? Everybody here, make sure you lead that Thanksgiving prayer. Hey, 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 Cousin Flacco, let me pray. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you convict every sinner here to get saved and born again so they don't go to hell. I pray they get to know and love you. I pray that you end abortion and help people to realize their genders again. And I pray you bring peace to the Middle East in Jesus' name. I pray that you use that opportunity. And then if you can come out Thanksgiving, do it because you know what? That's just another thing that we do as a church to show it's not just about us. I've been supporting that church by God's grace as a pastor for like the last 10 years because I'm like, I don't know a lot of churches on the west side anymore that do outreaches. That's why we go out to do the Thanksgiving thing because when we adopted that block, I didn't want to come out there like we're better than them. So I said, I'll work with any church I, I can. And some churches that I worked with, I had to pay to use their facility. And I'm like, okay, well, at least you're helping us. So finally I met this pastor, and he said, hey, on Thanksgiving I give out stuff. I'm like, bingo, bango, we're there. Like, whatever you're doing in this community, I want to be a part of. They have never come to our outreaches. They have never come to our, uh, you know, things that we do out there. I still love them. But go out there Thursday and love on the west side. Amen? Let's go out there and preach to them. Because I'm perfect in every good work if God's called me to do it. I may not be the white pastor that they want to see on Thanksgiving, but I'll be the white pastor that they need on Thanksgiving. Amen? I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach out there, not the white gospel or the black gospel. I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and the blood that cleanses us and saves us. Amen? Can you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Amen? Are you going to preach the black gospel, brother? Come on, brother. For you, it would have to be the black, uh, mexi, Asian gospel.